Hey fans, welcome to a special edition of the Mets Up podcast. I'm absolutely thrilled to host today. I'm Nancy Elder. I head up the communications team at the Mets. And a very big thank you to our regular hosts, James and Mark, for letting us do this takeover to recognize International Women's Day. So International Women's Day, just a little history. In 1975, the UN designated March 8th as International Women's Day with the purpose to uphold women's achievements, recognize challenges, and focus greater attention on women's rights and gender equality. So you can head over to UN Observances Women's Day to learn more. So today, in celebration of International Women's Day, we're going to talk about one of my favorite topics, women in baseball. And it's a first for us. This is the first time we're doing an all-women's podcast at the Mets, so breaking some new ground here. Today, some of us are coming to from you from the fantastic Clover Park in Port St. Lucie, where the Mets are doing spring training. For example, I'm here in the press conference room where we talk to the media several times a day. And let's get started with some intros. Katie, why don't you kick us off? Katie's also here at Clover Park, and she's over in the baseball ops section, which is a super busy part of the operation for us. So tell us a bit about yourself and let the fans get to know you. Nancy, thank you so much for inviting me to be a part of this day and this podcast. Um, I'm Katie Pothier. I'm the chief legal officer for the Mets. And yes, I'm sitting in the baseball operations department. I'm in the conference room in um, in Port St. Lucie and just thrilled to be here. I oversee the uh, legal team at the Mets and the legal affairs for the team. Happy to be here. And Liz, Liz Ben is joining us from the dugout uh, where it's definitely going to get busier today. This is the calm before the excitement of tonight's exhibition game against Nicaragua. So over to you, Liz. Hey, Nancy, thank you so much for having me on this. Um, yeah, I'm excited for the Nicaraguan team to just storm in and you know celebrate Women's Day with us. But um, I am the director of Major League Operations for the New York Mets. Um, I started last year. And really what I work on is anything to do with the Major League players. So that's player contracts, transactions. Um, and then down to things like, you know, players' family room, um, you know, communicating things with the clubhouse, the travel staff. So really anything that touches the players um, at the major league level, um, I'll have a hand in. Awesome. Just let us know if you need to relocate there. And also today we've invited a very special guest to join, Hannah Kaiser, uh, joining us from New York, pioneering baseball writer and commentator. <sighs> Hannah was here with us in Port St. Lucie, but she had to head back to New York. You can see she's got her setup there and she's uh, in New York headed uh, out to the Cactus League soon to cover that. So over to you, Hannah. I know. I feel like I'm crashing a little bit, both because I'm not in the Mets and because I'm not in, in Clover Stadium, Clover Field, Port St. Lucie. I always think of it as the, the location. I'm a baseball writer at Yahoo Sports. I cover all the teams. I do some TV work on SNY. Uh, if you're a Mets fan, you probably that's where you know me from. And then I also do some TV work for MLB Network. Um, and I feel very honored to be on this podcast with all of you. We're so happy to have you. We just wanted to put a good mix together to get this ball rolling here. So let's let's get on with it. Um, you know, one of the things I typically get asked when I do something like this is, how did I get into baseball? So let's start with that. And, you know, from my perspective, I joined the Mets in July of last season. So I think we'd be better off starting with someone who's been in baseball a little bit longer than that, and that's Katie Pothier. For those trying to uh, make every decision in their career to chart a path, to make sure they get into baseball, they're going to hate my story um, because I really fell into baseball. Um, It really wasn't just this linear decision, decision into baseball. I was working as a lawyer 
at a firm doing work for the San Diego Padres and for the owner of the Padres. So this was early in my career, um, back in 2000 and gosh, 2002, 2001. Um, at that time, the San Diego Padres were trying to build a ballpark in San Diego. Some of you may know it. I'm sure Hannah's been there. Maybe Liz has been there, Petco Park. It's beautiful. And the owner of the team and the team itself were under investigation and they needed some outside help. And my firm and I were called in to help them. And so I got to meet the team and meet the ownership and help them through that. And it was sensitive. It was some sensitive litigation. It was, uh, we did a good job. We were successful. And when the case was over and it lasted a couple of years, um, the gentleman who was the general counsel for the San Diego Padres was elevated to be the president of the team. And I said to my husband, almost jokingly, really jokingly at the time, I said, well, I should call him and see if they need a GC. And my husband said, you should, Katie, you really should call him. And I said, what, what on earth do I know about being the general counsel for a baseball team? So Katie, you could totally do it. I mean, you could do it. And I was like, gosh, I would love to do it. But, you know, they're never going to hire me. He's like, Katie, you should call him, give him a call and tell him you want to do it. And um, so I, after him coaxing me, I finally got up the courage to call him and told him I'd really love to come work for him. And I, and, you know, did he need somebody? Um, And he said, gosh, Katie, we do. Um, But we're still trying to figure out if we're going to get financing for this new ballpark that we really want. Let's figure that out and let's stay in touch. And so we stayed in touch for about a year And he called me again out of the blue and said, hey, are you still interested? And I said, my gosh, yes, I'm still interested. I was in the middle of a trial in Los Angeles. And for lawyers out there listening, if you're in the middle of a trial, you're like, yes, get me out of a courtroom and and watching baseball and helping a team. And um, I said, but one thing has changed. I am pregnant with what would be our, our first child. And she's due around opening day. So I don't know if that's going to change things for you. And he's like, well, do you plan on working after you have your your child? And I said, well, yeah, I do. He's like, no, no problem at all. So he goes, let's have lunch and had lunch and started at the Padres. And that was in November of 2003. That was my break into baseball. So my story. In case it takes a family. I love it. Takes it. a family. Yep. That kind of encouragement. I think what we're going to hear is like some people fall into it, some people get lucky, some it's super intentional. Hannah, how did you decide to start covering baseball? Yeah. Oh, first of all, there's so much I want to like talk about in your story, Katie. One of which is that my mom is a lawyer who has often jokingly said that she would love to be a general counsel because she's a huge baseball fan. I would I love should, to meet her. I should tell her, you know, it doesn't have to just be a joke. She That's works in employment right. law. Um, I, I grew up in Philly. I was a huge Phillies fan. I didn't know I was going to be a baseball writer. This is, again, the same sort of thing where I often feel bad almost because it does feel like you encounter so many men in particular who are like this is what I wanted to do from five years old and I always think like no you know I was a huge baseball fan I thought I was going to be a scientist originally and that didn't pan out I ended up being an ancient history major at the University of Pennsylvania and I was taking all these journalism classes and because 
I was in Philly where I had grown up and where I was a big Phillies fan, I, I leveraged my journalism classes to get to write about the Phillies a bunch. And I did a story that ended up being a cover story for the Philadelphia Daily News that I wrote for a journalism class and, you know, looking for various odd jobs in journalism while I was in college. I worked as an assistant to Larry Platt, who was the editor of the Daily News, and he worked on sort of sports books. He wrote the, he sort of ghost wrote the autobiography for Jamie Moyer, the pitcher, for Stuart Scott, the broadcaster. And I was his assistant for years. And he was, and he, I got that job, right, because he was writing this Jamie Moyer book. And I, I said, oh my gosh, I'm a big fan of Jamie Moyer. And he said, great, you know, you, you come with the knowledge of the, of his career. And so I did totally, totally menial tasks. I transcribed a bunch. I watched Jamie Moyer's wedding videos. I drove to his parents' house and took his wedding video, which was on VHS, and watched it and took notes on it so we could create that scene in the book. Um, and that opportunity, I mean, I, I kept that job as an assistant through my first couple of extremely low-paying media jobs in New York, but uh, the first sort of real job I got was actually at the commissioner's office. When I graduated from college, I got a seasonal job at the commissioner's office working on the books they put out, the like the the World Series book that they do every year, which is such a fun project. I was very young and it was a very cool project to get to work on. You start them on all the teams who have a chance and then you stop working on them as teams get eliminated. And by the end, I put out a book on the 2012 San Francisco Giants when they won the World Series. And it it really felt like from there, I sort of was just trying to keep that career going. It's so hard to move to New York and have a career in media. And I felt like I was sort of taking whatever jobs were kind of available to me. And I worked in I did some sports jobs, sports writing jobs. I did some food writing jobs, which was very fun. Um, I did, you know, more general journalism. And then um, actually when my now husband and I got engaged, he worked nights because he was working in sports. And um, I quit my job to freelance because we never got to see each other. And after a few months of freelancing, Deadspin, the sports blogger, reached out and asked if I wanted to come on board and uh, be their sort of like lifestyle writer. So Deadspin was a sports blog, but they were looking to expand into more lifestyle coverage. And so they hired me to do that. And while I was there, I, I did more and more sports writing. I sort of was like, yeah, can I, can I, you know, contribute about baseball? And, and um, over time, the sort of lifestyle aspect of that completely fell away. And I was just writing about sports. And when I left there, Yahoo Sports reached out to me and they said that they were going to have an opening um, Jeff Passan was leaving for ESPN. I kept in touch with them. I also had to go get another job. It sometimes takes a long time for these things to come to fruition. Um, and then, yeah, 2019, I got hired to this job. And it felt to me like I had always been doing this. And then when I got this job where I was suddenly at ballparks all the time and around teams all the time, I realized how deep some people's sort of knowledge of that was and that was a real I mean it was a really insecure moment for me was to sort of like feel like I was like oh yeah I'm a big baseball fan and I've been in media my whole career and then I got this job that was like now you have a credential and you go to ballparks and you're in clubhouses and you're writing you're writing sort of authoritatively about baseball and it was a it was a huge jump I was I felt like I had to study sort of constantly to keep up I that makes so much sense because there's so 
much to know about this business. It's so incredibly complicated, yeah. way more than you see as the average fan. But it sounds like like a lot of dedication and a lot of perseverance. So kudos to that. I can appreciate the story about ending up in New York and just trying to figure out how to do that. Um, so Liz, over to you, a, a, a different story. A different story, but I think some similarities too. So um, I'm from Canada originally. And so I think that working in sports isn't really part of the general conversation there usually when you're talking about careers. So I didn't really know that this was, this was an option for me. Um, so I did think about journalism quite a bit actually, but growing up, I, you know, I love baseball. I always played baseball um, and actually played softball until college. The first game I ever um, saw was the first one I was in and I was playing first base and totally freaked out because you stand so close to the batter in softball. And I didn't realize that until my first game. Um, so I just, I played baseball my whole life. I coached baseball um, all just for fun. So um, again, my educational background, I mean, Hannah said ancient history. Um, I think I'm on par with you. I have two philosophy degrees. Um, so again, people are like, what should you study to work in baseball? And I'm like, you know, get some Play-Doh under your belt and you'll, you'll be in pretty good shape. Um, not the normal path, but that's, that's kind of how I got my foot in. Um, so when I was doing my undergrad degree, I actually volunteered with the Toronto Blue Jays, the Blue Jays, uh, Jays Care Foundation, um, just to, you know, help kids play baseball. Cause that was really fun for me. I thought that'll be a cool volunteer experience. Um, that ended up turning into a part-time summer job my last year. And then I moved to New York um, to, again, do the, the number two of two philosophy degrees. Um, and I wanted to stay involved in baseball somehow, but I didn't really know how. Um, so I started to work at a youth um, program in East Harlem. Um, it used to be Harlem RBI, now Dream, where I coached baseball and softball for kids and also kind of like tutored and mentored and all those other kind of after school programs. Um, when I was there, my old boss from the Jays told me that the commissioner's office was thinking about starting something in girls baseball. Um, I was a female human who played baseball. And so he was like, you should talk to the people there about it. So um, I got kind of lucky and I met people in youth programs and they said, you know, we'd like to actually get you in for an internship. So I thought, okay, I'm finishing up this philosophy degree. My plan at the time was maybe do a PhD in philosophy. Um, by the way, philosophy of art specifically. So again, direct path into baseball. Um, <laughs> well, actually. It's very related, very related. We get to contemplate the, the beauty of the baseball and stuff like that. Um, but I, I ended up going in for the internship at the commissioner's office. And again, just things kind of fell into place in kind of an odd way. Um, Another philosophy professor from my undergrad suggested that I present a paper about baseball at the um, Baseball Hall of Fame's annual academic conference. So I wrote a paper called Baseball's Gender Problem, and it was mostly about why girls are told that they can't play baseball, and that is wrong, not because of a skill differentiation, but because it's an arbitrary differentiation based on gender. Um, so that was kind of the core of it. It was very much girls playing baseball on field. It had nothing to do with professional baseball, because again, that was not really part of my mindset at the time. Um, but somebody at MLB, Paul Mifsud, who many of us know and love, um, he found out about the paper and he wanted to help make professional baseball conditions better for women. Um, so I met with him while I was still in this youth programs internship and he um, ended up offering me an internship in labor relations and baseball operations. So I took that, um, ended up essentially just working as a paralegal on a grievance um, for a few months, um, did well at that, and then got the opportunity to have a full-time job there. Um, that really did dip into a bunch of areas. So women's and girls baseball, um, but also labor relations and baseball operations. So 
Um, my last year at MLB, I was helping the team um, approve transactions every day and helping all 30 teams really comply with the rules and regulations. And so that gave me a really good opportunity to meet 30 different teams, you know, directors of baseball operations, assistant general managers. Um, and then the Mets, when they were structuring this new front office in baseball operations, um, they asked me if I was interested in interviewing for the director of major league operations job, which that year of transactions and everything kind of prepared me for. Um, so I ended up making the switch over. And I think what was really cool was that it was very much based on that experience. It's, hey, you know the rules well, you know the regulations, the, the you know, CBA, all that stuff. But I think that they didn't necessarily know that I actually had a background playing baseball. Um, I'm a huge baseball nerd. So it's even funny looking back. I remember being now like a five-year-old and I would put baseball cards on my parents' living room floor and turn them around so I could see the stats. And I had a marble and I would play baseball games on my parents' floor based on stats, which I completely <laughs> forgot about that for years. And I remembered it recently. I was like, oh no, I guess I did understand, you know, basic analytics and stats back then. So um, it's been a fun year being here. I've just come up on my first year. Um, and yes, I do all the transactions and rule stuff, but also I get to just kind of hang out around baseball and understand baseball and look at funny plays that happened the night before and stuff like that. So um, it's a really nice way to kind of get my baseball nerd fix every single day at work. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And then some. Yeah, I, I appreciate what you're talking about. I grew up at a time when there was only softball. Uh, but I had a hard time with it because I spent, you know, my earlier earlier time, you know, running after balls that my brothers were missing. So I'd go halfway down the block and whip it back to them. And so my grip was really great on the baseball. But then I had to pivot to softball in order to play. And instead of turning out to be the pitcher because I couldn't figure out how to throw the larger ball, I ended up being a catcher. So, um, you know, hats off to that transition and, and being um, neutral in terms of what girls can play these days. So, you know, I know we're going to have a lot of advice throughout this podcast for any generation who wants to get into baseball or, or young girls. And, you know, the thing about advice is um, a lot of people are good at giving it, uh, maybe less so at taking it. Um, but I wanted to ask all of you, open season uh, for who starts, you know, what is some of the best advice you were given over your career? Like, what was the situation? Who gave it to you? What did you do with it? And how has it impacted you? I can start because I kind of lean, I already suggested a, this a little bit in my story um, in my introduction. And it, it really was, you know, going out there and encouraging me to make that phone call 
to put myself out there for this job. And the advice, you know, you hear this buzzword, you know, get out of your comfort zone and try something that you're not necessarily comfort comfortable doing. Um, be okay at, at, at doing something that maybe you're not doing every day and, you know, fail and, and learn and all of that. But really the advice that, you know, my husband gave me and the encouragement that he gave me to, you know, prepare to make that call and, you know, you really, you know, give myself, put, put my best at bat, you know, just go and have my best at bat. Just why not um, do it? and see what happens. Um, that was probably my, the best advice and something I continue to do like all the way throughout my career and really surrounding myself, not just him, but with others around me who continue to do that along the way. Um, so it's like, listen, if you're not going to be around people who do that for you, then like, like there's only so many, you can only have so many touch points in your life. Like you need to surround yourself with people who are going to do that for you. So don't, you, it's not like a waste of your time, but it kind of is a waste of your time. You get busier and busier the, the more you go in life with kids and everything else. So put yourself with people who are going to be those, be that encouragement for you in your life. So that's, was the advice I think that, that I took that really resonated with me as I continued to grow in, in my career. Yeah, I think the earlier hearing that and being able to do something with it, the better off. I wish I had heard something like that a little bit earlier in my career. Uh, Hannah, media landscape in New York, you know, super tough business to be in. You had to have heard some good stuff. I agonized over this question in particular because I felt like I didn't have a specific sort of piece of advice, but I, I think a lot about a moment early in my career that felt like advice, even though it kind of wasn't. Um, my mother and I don't have like the closest, warm and fuzziest relationship. She is a, a labor lawyer uh, to the heart. And I remember early in my career, and, and I, you know, I we don't, we, I'm not like a go back to my parents for support type person, but I had that first summer job in the commissioner's office. And then the second year I got a seasonal job working nights at MLB Advanced Media in the Chelsea market where I met my husband um, and it was a tough job it was because it was you worked over the overnight shift and you were it's like I mean it was not a tough job it was like updating the yes and SNY websites to like reflect what was happening in the game um, but it felt really tough it felt really overwhelming and it was I don't know like a, it felt like a lot of responsibility and I remember after the first week of doing this, I, I went home to Philly to see my parents and I was like distraught. I was like, I don't think I can go back. I'm so worried I'm going to mess up and people are going to be mad at me. And it just feels so overwhelming. It was just, I mean, it was more even than sort of working in media or working in sports. It was just working. It was like, you know, being an adult for the first time and the feeling of repercussions and all of that. Um, and my dad was sort of like, well, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. Like, you're going to be fine. And my mom, who is not a warm and fuzzy person again, said, when I was 40, I made partner for the first time and I had four kids under 10. And she said, every night I came home and I thought there's no way I can go back to work tomorrow. I'm so overwhelmed. And I went back to work every day. And that was it. That was not, she didn't have any sort of like, there was no beautiful, like, <laughs> and here's how I did it. She was just like, go do it. 
go do deep. She's like, it doesn't really. And I truly have thought about that so many times since that, like the feeling that you can't continue that you kind of have a choice as to whether or not that feeling doesn't rule you in some ways that like you can you can come home and I really have sort of taken that to heart and, and my husband is also a lovely support system like Katie's um and I feel like so often I, I come home and I I I let myself sort of say that I say like I can't do this there's no way I can do it I'm quitting tomorrow I, I think I tell him I'm gonna quit after every world series uh I'm so tired and I'm always like, it's fine. You you can feel that way as long as you don't actually. <laughs> That's sort of the advice that I took from it. It's like sometimes you will feel like you just absolutely cannot do this and there's no way. How can time even move forward? You know, like I said, that, I remember saying to them, it's like they're asking me to speak a language that I don't speak and I don't know how I'm supposed to find that in my brain. I just, it doesn't matter how many times they ask me, I'm not going to know it, but the time moves on. You got to go to work on Monday and, and just sort of figuring out a way to keep putting one foot in front of the other. It really is true that like that is, I felt like for so many of us in telling those stories, all of these opportunities come out of just sort of being willing to show up on Monday, like being like, yeah, if somebody asks you to do something, if somebody asks you to come talk about the paper you presented or keep in touch or come have a conversation, like just do it. It's showing up. And uh, if you got to play the game, Liz knows about that. What kind of, what kind of advice do you want to pass down, Liz? So I think that one piece of advice that I think somebody probably told me, and then I think I just gathered it as I was kind of progressing through my career is do a really, really good job at every task and every position that you're in and do not look towards the next one and do not think about how will this help me get to the next place. Um, I think, luckily, I was never doing that because I never knew what jobs existed in baseball. So I never had this idea of, you know, I'm trying to be a GM someday. And so I need to do this, 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 and kind of check these boxes to get there. Um, so I just did a really good job in my youth programs internship. And then I did a really good job in my um, labor relations internship where I ended up kind of being a paralegal and I was not a paralegal. Um, and then I did a really good job in my um, transactions job. And then that ended up kind of getting the attention of the Mets. So, I mean, it just doing a really good job at every task that you have, even if you hate it, there are some tasks that I really did not enjoy doing at times, but you know, you do them and you do a really good job at them. That's what will get you noticed. And that's what will advance you um, at any time. I mean, we have uh, one of our fellows right now, Rachel, um, She's so good at everything she tries to do and she puts her hands on and she wants to learn everything. And that is going noticed by absolutely everybody. So right now she's actually over on the player development side um, in uniform, um, which is really cool. And she's doing a fantastic job there. And she told me the other day about how um, she was hitting fungos for the first time during practice and she was so excited about it. And she did well. And that's because every single day at City Field throughout the winter, she was hitting fungos into a net and and she's just a delightful person on top of it like that doesn't surprise me at all like just exactly like she's incredible and i think that's just the attitude that you need to have um it's just treat every task like it's really really important um and then in, in addition to that though i think another thing that i needed to remind myself of a lot and you know i still do and i'm sure all of us still do to an extent is just being confident and knowing that we're here for a reason trying to shove the imposter syndrome out of the way um we know more than we think we do um, I mean, I think last year, a moment that I kind of realized that was Buck came up to me after a game and he's like, hey, you know, in you know, the sixth inning, there was a guy on third and then we didn't cover the bag. And he brought up a very specific scenario and he's like, what would you have done there? And I actually remember watching that play and being very attentive towards it. And I was like, actually, Buck, I would have done the opposite of what you would have done. 
and you know he he buck is always right um but i think that he appreciated that i thought about it and i had you know considered all the situations and the scenarios of you know who is the pitcher who is the hitter who is the runner on third all that type of stuff um but that type of thing just being confident and not just kind of saying like oh like i don't know how to respond to this or oh like you're the expert but actually having the opinion and being confident in it um making sure it's backed up but being confident in it that um that will also carry you far and kind of gain the respect of, of those around you wait i thought of something else i want to say because this is not a piece of advice somebody gave me but something that this is now going to be my fifth season doing this job that I have finally sort of crystallized for myself. And I always say it's the thing that I would tell people, which is that when I started this job, I felt like I had to do, I had to be so careful to hide how little I knew that I didn't want anyone to ever know what I was working on. I didn't want to ever ask for help and not in like a, oh, I didn't want to ask for help. Like I wanted to, I mean, like literally I didn't want to like tell the PR people that I was coming because I wanted to just sort of like, <laughs> I just wanted to like fly under the radar until I figured it out and everything. And like, I didn't, I didn't want to like get any of the etiquette wrong. Is it weird to email people ahead of time? You know? So I just sort of was like, I'm going to just feel it out. I'm just going to totally feel it out for a year. That was 2019. And so then I didn't get to interact with anyone for a while. And I was like, man, I really regret <laughs> not drawing more attention to sort of what it is that I'm trying to do and being more explicit about what it is that I don't know. So that way they could teach me. And I truly had two years <laughs> of no access to sit and stew and think about the fact that I had not been confident enough in my ideas to be upfront about them. And it's something that I'm trying to be so, so intentional about now, particularly going into this new sort of like normal year. It's finally a normal year, no lockout, no pandemic restrictions. And I'm trying to be so much better about being like, let me tell people what I'm working on and ask them if they can help me and or let them figure out if they can help me. Just sort of be like, Hey, I really like to do story on this. Do you think you have anything that fits with that? And and letting not not being afraid that it's going to come across as stupid if I need people to talk to me because <laughs> of course I need people to talk to me. That's my job. Completely. And I I think that's such a huge point because, you know, I've 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 been just in baseball in in this sense um since last July. And so I I had to sort of come in and and know a certain amount of things, you know, based on the profession I'm in from a comm standpoint. And I brought all my enthusiasm and fandom around baseball into into the mix. But it I was I was just so uh, amazed and grateful about how helpful everyone is in the industry about helping you understand the nuances of the game or what happened or the history. I mean, it's like people go out of their way to want to share and help. Um, so that that is one of the, the most amazing things I think about this industry versus some others I've been in where, you know, you sort of have to fight and earn your way up. Uh, whereas this is, I, I think, a much more welcoming space in terms of people getting more up to speed about things and, and, and knowing when to ask for help, I think, or, or being more direct about what you're looking for has always been something that strikes me as an important lesson, um, you know, that, that we're all in charge of the kinds of help we could use. And so why not ask for it for more, of, more often? Um, because people are ready to help. I'm always surprised how ready people are to help when you actually ask for the help. Um, and that's what we're trying to do with this podcast is, you know, expose 
different people to different types of careers that there are in baseball. And, and some of our stories I know will, will help spark other conversations. So we're going to keep trying to do these things. A lot of progress has been made in this industry and other industries as, as we look for more equity and equitable situations. But, you know, one of the things that I think is important to, to keep calling out, which is why this day even exists and why people do these things on this type of day or other days during the year is, you know, to talk about the challenges and what we can do about them. So kind of a two part question. Uh, if we can start with Liz in and around sort of what you think the challenges still are and what are the, some, of the, some of the things we could do to, to try to solve for them. I've thought about this question a lot. Um, and I think in my last role with MLB, I had to think about it a lot. And I really do think that the key element is just representation. Um, I think once you're in, you don't have issues with the people that you're working with. I mean, I'm in there and players are asking me about their swings. Pitchers are asking me about their mechanics. Buck is asking my opinion. So, I mean... Everybody there knows that you're there for a reason and they trust you. And so, you know, there aren't any issues coming from the inside. I think it's just outside kind of people don't know that women are in these positions. Um, sometimes the media representation could be better at times. You know, I, I gave the example to somebody the other day about how um, I really hate when you know, the media will say, OK, women's college basketball and college basketball. It's like, no, it's women's college basketball and men's college basketball. You can't really put the gender qualifier on one and not the other. So I think just those subtleties. Um, have a big impact. But then I think just, you know, the fact that we have four women on the field on the minor league side right now in uniform, um, that's really cool. Um, all those players are now going through the minor league spring training, knowing that these women are around um, and for the rest of their careers, they will have had a or multiple women coaches. And that's really cool. Um, so I think it's just kind of making these um, positions more um, visible to people outside of the sport. Because um, again, the players, they're happy with the coaches there. The coaches love their their colleagues. Um, but it's just really showing everybody else who is outside and not seeing us every day that we're here, um, we belong here, we're, we're all carrying important roles um, and a really important part of the, the teams that we have here. Liz, that was such a positive answer. I feel like I... <laughs> It's like, we just got to let everyone know. I, I think I, gosh, I feel like I could do uh, an opus on this. I think about this a lot. This is such a meta answer, but I feel like the broadest way I could put it is that like, it can be really difficult to balance sort of speaking up about your experience and seeking out specific solutions without like marginalizing or, or ghettoizing yourself. I feel like I'm incredibly ambivalent about these like National Women's Day, everybody tag a lady you know on Twitter versions of celebrating women in sports with sort of like, do you, like, I don't love that. And I don't like when people participate in that. But I also don't love the version of sort of trying to fit in that is like, we just want to be treated exactly the same way. Don't even notice that I'm a woman because it feels like you have to then sort of erase a version of your actual like personhood. I thought about this so much. So I'm going to take this to like a dark place. I thought about this so much a few years ago when we were dealing with the sort of like sexual harassment in and around the sport, particularly in media so much. And there felt like there was a lot of pressure on women to say like, I don't expect anyone special treatment or to sort of talk about how hard it is to like avoid having men fall like madly in love with you or whatever. And I was like, it's really not that hard. If I don't want the guy to like me, I can definitely make that happen. The problem is that sometimes I do want them to like me. I want them to like me a lot. I want them to seek me out. And not only do I want them to like me a lot, I want them to like me more than they like the male reporters. I want them to like me best. I think that there's like a a pressure on women in the industry sometimes to say like, I don't want anything more than you. And 
I do. I want to be the best. I want, I want the most. I want more than you and you and you. I want, and I think that that can be difficult to navigate without saying, like, give me more because I am a woman or give me special treatment because I am a woman or like me more because I'm a woman. I don't want you to like me more because I'm a woman. I want you to think that I'm fun and charming and smart and know a ton. And I want to be considered really, really good at this. I don't want to just sort of blend in. I think at any industry where it's a really competitive industry, you're sort of going to run into that, which is like the right balance of being like, don't, you don't, I'm not asking people to not look at me. I'm literally asking people to look at me and to enjoy talking to me. But then it feels like then you're not allowed to say like, but I don't want to be sexually harassed. (laughs) And I think that that's a really difficult, I think in sort of attempting to walk that line, often what ends up happening is we end up feeling like we have to downplay the differences in experiences, which Katie, I would love to hear you talk more about this because something that I have thought about so much in recent years, I do not have children, but I have a husband of many years. And I've thought so much about the fact that is like, what I th- one of the things I think we could do differently is figure out a way to make all careers uh, more accommodating of having kids. And because that feels like something that is so like, um, if you want to be a woman in this industry and you want to be taken seriously and you want to be seen as ambitious, that that is somehow incompatible with wanting to like prioritize having a family and wanting to be open about prioritizing having a family. I've, I've mentioned in the past to people that someone, you know, people in the industry have asked me in passing about if I want to have kids and, and people have said to me like, Oh, that's so inappropriate. And I'm like, I don't think it's inappropriate. I think it's a completely reasonable question. My concern is that the answer will be seen as inappropriate because the answer is like, yeah, I'd love to have a family someday. And I I think the implication that that is a taboo is in some ways the problem that like, oh, they shouldn't ask you that because if they find out, then they might treat you differently. Find out, find out that like, I don't know, I want to partake in one of the most basic human experiences. of all time like what a strange thing to have to sort of downplay i'm a little bit ranting now i think one of my heroes in this industry is brit giroli who's an athletic reporter and she has a a baby he's one years old there's um, no sorry i'm sorry he's not yet one he was born in the trade deadline he's very cute and she and i talk a ton about sort of how difficult it is to take that step but also how you can't say that you can't say like i don't want to do that reporting trip because then you won't do that reporting trip and and i wish that we created more space for people to talk about the ways in which it is difficult to do this as a woman without making it sound like we want out i mean katie you were talking about it at the very beginning of the podcast so let's dive in yeah you know um when that when the, the guy who hired me at the Padres asked me that question. You know, this is back in, what did I say, 2003. You know, you don't ask that question anymore. Nobody would ask that question. You know, I, first of all, nobody being interviewed, would, I was being interviewed at the time, right? And I basically said, listen, I'm pregnant. I want you to know that I'm pregnant and my child's going to be due at opening day. So I want to make sure you know that kind of full disclosure going in. Like, I'm all in for this, but I just want you to know if that's going to be impactful. And he was the, his response, I, I love his response to this day. It was, well, do you plan on working afterwards? Well, yeah, I do. Well, then, okay, that's okay. We'll make it work. But let me tell you, you know, my daughter was, you know, raised at Qualcomm Stadium. Like, I remember going into closets during games and sitting on tubs of red vines and nursing her. 
and then walking out of the closet and walking around the game like she was born in the game and and it won't come as any surprise to you that what does she what does she want to do she's 19 years old at TCU and she wants to be in this game she loves this game you know so it's no, no surprise to to anybody and so like i want to solve these problems for her and the fact if i can and i look at this like I, i'm very passionate about it if i can't solve it then who the heck can you know i've raised a daughter in this game and so when I when you ask me the question about what we can do to make more opportunities for the next generation um, and what we can do and how can we have, you know, women like like you, Hannah, who can, you know, can raise that next generation. I think the way we do it is by we, we talk about it. I don't think we shy away totally. from it. That's me personally. Totally. I, I, I think we have to talk about it. I think the only way you do anything and make any progress is through transparency. And I think that's how you how you move things forward. And I think it's, you know, if that's something that somebody wants to do, then we then we talk about it and we embrace it. And we say, okay, how do we make that happen? And um, and that it's not something that should be shied away from. I I share your frustration with how sometimes the dialogue can get um, muddied on these issues in a way that maybe doesn't help us all the same way. And I think that's, I think that's just a frustration that, that we all in different ways um, have, but I, I, I am passionate about it. I think, you know, to, to Liz's point, um, I think we need to, have more women out there doing the job. I think we need to see more. We need to normalize the presence of women in the game more. Um, I still feel like an outsider and I've been in this game since 2003. So, um, and if, you know, that, that, that's, that's okay. Like I, listen, I, I, I'm not saying that as like a come, like a complaining thing or anything like that. I'm just, it's just the reality. Um, and like, I, there's still, I'm, I'm in an organization that supports me, embraces me, does something like this, celebrates, but, but I don't think we should just celebrate like women. I think we should celebrate success, right? And we should, like women are part of that success, but we need to celebrate the women alongside the men, Right. So if I've got four women in uniform out there, I want to show them along with all the men out there. And I want the men supporting the women who are out there and telling those stories and normalizing that conversation. I think that we we do a good job at that. And I think that helps advance it. You know, my my big dream for the sport is that ultimately we have more women owning teams, because I think that's. Mm -hmm. That's the big change. You know, you have we have Alex Cohen and, you know, she's an amazing owner. Um, but I think when you see big change, you see all these women buying soccer um, teams and getting more involved in the women's soccer league. And I think in baseball, when you you know, my my big dream, if you can have those grandiose dreams, I know there are women like us and out there who love the sport. And I know there's like a lot of super wealthy women out there who want to maybe buy a team and, you know, I want to find them and say, go buy a team, <laughs> go buy a team, make exactly. some change. <laughs> or, or, I don't know, you know, go talk to more girls yeah. about playing baseball or oh, yeah. go talk more broadly about 
you know, I think that's where the challenge is also the opportunity. And, you know, creating awareness around things is certainly part of the conversation. That's why we want to do things like that. Um, but talking about the tougher issues, that's the only way I've ever been in the middle of something, whether it's personal or professional, that you actually ever see anything change. Um, and, you know, not an overnight, never, not never an overnight thing. And we all have our own versions. Of it. Something else that I, I just want to add to is I think that's something that's really cool is that because there haven't been that many women in our positions yet, I mean, I think for Katie, Hannah, Nancy, I mean, all of us, um, is that the women who are kind of coming before us and us, we really are, I, I hate saying this, but like blazing a trail. But I also mean that on a really practical level. So um, coming into this job, one of the people who I look up to the most in all of baseball um, is Jean Afterman, who's the assistant general manager and vice president of the Yankees, senior vice president of the Yankees. Um, she's an incredible person. But she said once, um, I don't know if it was a direct conversation or when I heard her speak once, that she... Um, when she was at Yankee Stadium every day, she would make a point of going on the field during batting practice in a dress and heels every day so that everybody in the stadium could see that there is a woman working for the Yankees in a dress and heels on the field during batting practice every day. And that really stuck with me. And now I think, okay, that kind of gives me permission to, I know I'm not wearing a dress and heels. Um, it's just not my style, but um, I'm going on the field during batting practice and I am talking to our coaches and I'm talking to the players, media, the trainers, everybody. And I think, um, it's nice to be able to kind of normalize that. Um, and then I also know that, you know, the Rachels of the world or Brooklyn Cavell, who I always describe as like the glue who holds together the New York Mets because she's amazing. Um, when they're trying to kind of, you know, advance in their careers or become around or, you know, go around the baseball team more, they have, you know, me to look up to because I had Jean to look up to who's on the field doing these things, having these conversations. And so it is cool to see how our direct actions and kind of the routine that we create can directly help the people who are there either in our organization or another one um, kind of figure out their routine and again, make it normal that I'm standing there and talking about swings with these guys when there's a bunch of media around, there are a bunch of fans in the stands who are seeing me, you know, leaning against the turtle. And I think that that probably has, um, even if they're not noticing it actively, it has kind of this implicit effect on them um, where it's like, oh yeah, there's the Met stuff. And it happens to include this woman in a ponytail. And Nancy, I love that you're doing this. And, and Liz, I love that you shouted out Gene Efferman because I think that like one of the other things that comes up a lot when when Kim Ong got the Marlins job and she was the first woman GM of a man of a male professional sport, there was it felt like lots of people wrote there was this one particular line that came up all the time, which was like every little girl at home watching TV sees this. And it made me mad because I thought like, what about all the women who are older than little girls who do this? There are plenty of women in middle management or <laughs> working in the minor leagues or have been doing this for a very long time. I think sometimes there is a version of patronizing feminism that men do that is like, I want things to be different for the next generation. I'm like, well, I want things to be different for this generation. In fact, I want things to be different for people who are older now I, I i think that that there's i don't want us to settle for this idea that like someday a little girl that's why i love katie that you were like i want women to own baseball teams i want to target the adult successful rich like maybe they're in their 60s like not get, just like get started now get into baseball now you billionaire women that like you don't it, it doesn't have to just sort of be this like oh wouldn't it be cute if a little girl dreamed of being a baseball coach someday I'm like wouldn't it be great if we elevated the women who are already coaches in the minor leagues or we also just celebrated the women who do jobs that are 
not GM. Like Gene Afferman has been doing this for a very long time. Just because she's not Brian Cashman doesn't mean that sort of her contributions are. We love the first and the only and the the next. But like Gene oh, Afferman, she's just a boss who's been doing this for a long time. It's her regular job. It's not like some diversity hire or some cute thing or some like someday thing. It's like, that's just your job. The Yankees are a very good team and they trust her and she's worked for them for a very long time. And I, I think the to credit to the Mets, all of you and, and more, there are all these examples of like not doing it for the, for the, yeah, not doing it for the trendiness of hiring a woman, just doing just doing it, just putting them in the positions where they make sense, whether that's like lawyers or coaches or communications professionals. There are a lot of positions that women can do totally competently. No, I had no idea earlier in my career that I could actually have a career in baseball. You know, I I I, I wanted to play baseball, but I couldn't play baseball. I played softball. And then I got into the corporate world. I got into communications. I worked in a bunch of different industries and then finally more in sports. But I never really knew that I could have a job like this, um, you know. And so that is that is part of it, too, you know. And, and I'm not early in my career. So it right. can happen any day at, at any time. And it's kind of never too late. So, uh, you know, just figure out what you want to do. That seems to be the moral of the story and go do it, show up, ask questions, ask for help, you know, get everything that you need out of it because we all, we all deserve that. Um, so one of the things I wanted to end on, because unfortunately we're running out of a little bit of time here is, um, just to have a little fun because, so much of what happens around here is about baseball. And if we were imagining us um, walking out to the plate right now, what would your walk-up song be, Liz? Okay, so I have two plus a story. Um, so one, it would be Something Bad by Carrie Underwood and Miranda Lambert, because it's a great women's song, but also my actual them up song. So I, I still play baseball. It's um, mostly Dominican men's league in the Bronx. Um, Hannah's husband actually plays in the league, which is fun. Um, <laughs> but I'm one of two female players in the league. Um, so my kind of pump up song when I'm actually like getting ready and getting warm to pitch is Till I Collapse by Eminem. I'm a big, you know, have a rapper scream in my ear to pump me up kind of person. Um, so those are my two. I do have a story though. So um, my first year in the league, you know, played it, did well. And then I got kind of bumped up to the higher division in the league. So there's two divisions. I got put on the higher division. Um, everybody was freaking out. They're like, oh, well, like, this girl's going to pitch on opening day for the team in the higher division. It's never happened before. I mean, me playing at all in the league never happened before, but the higher division was kind of a big deal for them. Um, we have our regular home field. We have kind of a little like, locker room clubhouse situation. And we also have speakers. So they asked me, what do you want your walkout song to be for, you know, home starting pitcher for the season, for the league. You're the first girl to do this, woman to do this. Um, so I said, you know, let's do till I collapse because that's my actual pump up song. I knew the guys at this point, they respect me, um, which is why this is hilarious. Um, I go out there, I'm like head down, just pumped up, going after it. And then Barbie girl comes on. So I'm on the <laughs> hey, Barbie, Barbie's a coder now. Barbie went to the moon. Barbie's a coder. Barbie is now a pitcher in the New York City Metro Baseball League. Oh my gosh. But it was a hilarious moment for me because, you know, it was... It was hilarious. It was pointed out that I was a girl, but it was in, in a way that I thought was hilarious and so welcoming and just them embracing me being there. Um, but again, it was days thinking, like, yeah, till I collapse, like the Eminem beats drop. Um, and then it was Barbie Girl. Good one. Good one. How about you, Katie? 
So um, all my years in baseball, nobody had asked me this. And then in the last two weeks, this has been twice. Somebody's asked me this. So um, so everything's a story with me, too. Uh, I've done a fair amount of shuttling of my kids around, sporting events, activities. Both of them love music, distinctly different genres. But there's one song that they both can agree on, and they like it loud, and they like it hype, and they introduced it to me going to games. And it's Macklemore's Downtown. So it it has a beat and at the beginning that gets us going. It's a hype song, just a cautionary note. It can get a little bit R-rated, but uh, it's it's our hype song. So we're uh, we're, we're I'm I'm going with Macklemore Downtown. Good one. Little caveat. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. Kind of. How about you? I, I wish I had a better answer. Um, Liz told me she had two and I was like, I don't even have a good one. But I too, again, sometimes people ask you this in the course of working in baseball. And years ago, people asked me this and I needed an answer on the spot. And I, unlike so many of you, did not play baseball or even softball. I was not an athletic child. I horseback rode. I was a horseback Ooh. rider. Um, and so the answer that I came up with on the spot all those years ago, which I haven't thought of anything better, was that song that goes like, I wish I was a baller. I wish I was a little bit taller <laughs> because I always think like I do. I do wish I was a little bit tall. <laughs> that would really have helped my athletic career. <laughs> That's a good one. I'm feeling nostalgic today. So my pick would be um, We Will Rock You by Queen. Ooh, very, nice. This, um, very nice. This podcast is rock from my perspective. Um, but that they we played that after one of my softball games when I hit off a, a walk-off home run. So, um, See, everybody has all these athletic <laughs> success stories. <laughs> well, you know, we can get the fungo ball at bat out here. You know, we'll, 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 make, we'll make it Please happen. Do. Please do. But one announcement is, um, for those of you interested in more Women's Day things, uh, mark your calendars for Saturday, August 26th. Um, that's when we will celebrate Women's Day at City Field. And we had some fun with that with the um, players last year picking their walk-up songs, um, you know, with female thematic topics or female artists. And um, so maybe this year the walk-up songs will have to be shorter with the pitch clock, but we do expect the players um, to participate in that again, for sure. Um, so I just wanted to do a big shout out to all the women in baseball here at the Mets. They are the ones that make everything happen here every day. Thank you so much for doing what you're doing. Uh, shout out to all the women in baseball, Katie, Liz, Hannah. Thank you to our producer Vito. Thank you so much for making the time um, today to talk about this. It, you know, clearly we've got a lot to say about women in baseball. So um, we'll look forward to doing more special editions like this in the future. So it isn't just one time a year. And happy International Women's Day, everyone. Let's go Mets.